Genesis 36, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it for you. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Oholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite. And Basemith, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basemith bore Ruel. And Oholibama bore Jewish or Jewish, Jalam and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. And you're thinking to yourself, the rest of that chapter is just a list of names. This is a page out of the Hebrew phone book and it's Christmas season. What's he doing? This is going to be the most boring Christmas service ever. Um, or maybe it isn't. That is just the beginning of a whole chapter. You can read the rest on your own. I would encourage you to maybe have somebody from the Internet read them to you just so you understand what the names, how to pronounce the names. But what that is, is a genealogy and genealogies are not um, absent, especially in the book of Genesis. If you look up there, you see there are genealogies in Genesis four, Genesis five, Genesis 10. Uh, I have on there 11, 22, 25, 36 and 46. Genealogies in Numbers 3 and 26 kind of book in that book. You have a curious genealogy at the end of Ruth. You have a genealogy in Ezra uh, 2 um, and Nehemiah 11 and 12. And if you're ever struggling to go to sleep, might I encourage you? It is the word of God, but it is a list of names nine chapters long. Seriously. This is one of those in your read through the Bible plan where you're reading through and you're loving it. You get to First Chronicles 9 and you hit like a pre-recorded voice and you listen for those nine chapters to those names. There's a lot of them in there. But I want to tell you something about those genealogies. They aren't just random. God wasn't just a wasting uh, paper. Uh, the next slide, you'll see what genealogies are in the Bible. They are usually not strictly chronological, so it's not... When you see names, it's not the one right after another. Sometimes they skip whole generations. They're sometimes grammatically poetical. You'll see that today. And they are always textually purposeful. The biblical genealogy in the next slide you'll see is given to establish identity. And so in Genesis, if you were to see those genealogies, the first part is it's establishing a nation. In Numbers, it's confirming a new generation. In Ruth, it's connecting us to a person. In Ezra, it's, it's the genealogy of the returning exiles. In Nehemiah, it's the remaining exiles. In First Chronicles, it's kind of a summary of the family of Israel. And so I got to thinking about genealogies, and I went to uh, familytree.com or something like that, and, and I found my own history, my own genealogy, so to speak. And you should see up there, there's my family crest. Some of you will be proud and happy to know I descend from England, Cambridgeshire, to be exact. I practiced that all week, Cambridgeshire, not Shire, though it's spelled like that. It's sure for those of us from the motherland. My family crest, I am to persevere, rumly. The Cambridge United Football Club, they are a fifth tier soccer team in England, but I would sure you would know this if you're from uh, that part of the world, that the Cambridge University Association Football Club 
is the oldest club now playing in association football. I'll have you know that's why I love the pickle relish called Branston's. Um, I love the Plowman's Lunch. You were here a couple weeks ago. Remember the sprinter that we showed you? I was informed after by some who know better that Derek Raymond was from England. I mean, it's a great place to live. Madonna lives there. So me at Madonna celebrating Boxing Day on Wednesday. It all makes sense now. It all makes sense now. But actually what makes more sense is if you'll flip over to Matthew chapter 1. And you see that Matthew begins his book in a certain way. Uh, Luke, if you were to look further on, Luke in chapter 3 traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Shows us his humanity. And here in Matthew 1, we get the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And again, some might be thinking, well, this is a tedious way to begin a book. I mean... Can't you get right to it? This is Christmas. But the Jews would have seen this connection. They would have seen this is the book of the genealogy. They would have been thinking this is like Genesis taking us all the way back there. Jesus was their hope. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It talks about Jesus up front. We're Ruth. There's literary suspense. And at the end, we get this genealogy here. Matthew puts all his theological cards on the table. He, he's the son of David, that is the Messianic king, the son of Abraham, the Hebrew king. He, he's got the proper position from the proper people. And notice that he begins the genealogy. They all have their meaning because of him. That's just verse 1. And if you look down in verses 2 through 16, you see again a whole another list of names. 2 through 6 is the establishment of the kingdom. 6 through 11, it's they're exiled from the kingdom. And, and 12 through 16 is the exaltation of the king. And you're thinking, is he going to try to read all those names? And you're thinking, no, he's not. Because he has a video of someone who did it much better. Channel. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram and Amadadab, the Nashon who was then the dad of Salmon. With Rahab father Boaz, Ruth she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse, Jesse he had David, who we know as King. David he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well you all know him. He had glory followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Joram, had Isaiah, who had Jotham, then Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amen, who was Amen, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity, because he was a liar. 
isn't really true, but it rhymes. Then he had the LPL, who began to rub a bell. Who had Abiyad, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Akim. Akim was the father of Eliakim. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ. You're watching Christmas well, Voice. That's a fun way to go through that list of names, and he didn't miss one. So you see... Now, Sarah, I was just thinking, if you wanted to take First Chronicles 1 through 9, I'm thinking, never mind. 2 through 16, you get these names and you get this lineage of Jesus. See, genealogies aren't boring. And it ends in 17 with this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. There's that poetical connection, because if you were to take the Hebrew letters that make up the name David, and you, they, they at times assigned numbers to those letters, and if you were to add them up, it's 14. What this is all pointing us to is that this is the perfect messianic king, the long-awaited Messiah. He has come. He is the perfect descendant from the promised line. And so what you see in those first 17 verses is the genealogy of Jesus. It's his family tree. It's his ancestry. It tells us he comes from royalty. As you could see, even if they were to put a crest, as you saw on that crest, I come from some sort of Norwegian through England royalty. And so what you're seeing with this genealogy is this is the one we've been waiting for. He has come. Now, I just want to just talk about some of the more popular names in that genealogy. If, if the genealogy itself connects us to the historical family of Jesus going all the way back, Luke tells us, to Adam. Um, if we were to take a closer look at the names in this gene genealogy, you would see that some of these people, yea, all of these people, are sinful. And I hope what you hear right now forever changes the way you read the Bible. I praise the Lord for Mark Driscoll, who has helped me think through this just in the past couple of weeks. I, when I go out jogging, I'll listen to sermons. And he, he said something in one sermon that relates exactly to this, that some of us read our Bibles from a very religious perspective. We, we read the Bible saying there are good guys and there are bad guys and God does good with the good guys and God doesn't like the bad guys. But what we do with that is we put people in categories that God doesn't even have. Because there are no good guys. And if we read the Bible like that and we say, well, well, Esther was a good girl and therefore we've got to re we start reading the book of Esther in a certain way and we miss some of God's grace. Or we read this genealogy and you say, Abraham, yeah, he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Praise God. That's what Paul says in Romans 4, 19 and 20. Uh, but he also lied and gave away his wife twice. Tried to give her away. Or Jacob. Yes, Jacob. We just finished a series on Jacob. He wrestled with God and he prevailed 
with God and with men. Praise the Lord. We are told that. Yet he was a deceptive brother and a passive father. Or Judah and his brothers. Right there in verse end of verse two. I'm not trying to draw you back into next spring, but you'll just have to wait. This is kind of a trailer for next semester. That's what we'll talk about. Judah and his brothers. Or how about David? He's mentioned over and over in this genealogy in verse one and then in verse six. And then again, three times in 17, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He was also a man after another man's wife. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. At the end of his life, he put out an assassination hit on somebody. Or, or, or look at this right there in the middle. You, you see Ahaz and Hezekiah. And then Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, verses 9 and 10. And, and if you were to go back and you were to read the book of, of Kings and Chronicles, you would see that Ahaz was a bad king. Hezekiah was a good king. And Manasseh, his son, was a bad king. Oh, I hope you don't read the Bible too quickly and miss this. Bad king. Good king. Bad king. Oh, this should help us see, like, like Hezekiah, that we are not uh, destined to be like our parents if we had parents that were less than honorable growing up. Your past does not define you. Like Hezekiah, we can make changes as God defines it. And like Hezekiah, some of you need to hear this. Some of you will be encouraged with this. We cannot assume because we do the right thing like Hezekiah did, who reestablished God's kingdom and he brought back God's ways. We cannot assume that when we're doing the best, according to God's grace and our abilities, that our kids are destined to be godly. That should comfort some of you. See, these genealogies are not just uh, names on a page. They tell us about Jesus' family. It's absolutely genealogies are history, but they, they're telling a story. And I hope you find this helpful that this list of people here, they're, they're not perfect. They're sinful. And... I hope you noticed too when we were you've read this before when we were going through here those are just some notable men I talked about there's also some women and we should praise God because God includes women in genealogies which they weren't included outside the Bible but you see them in the genealogies of the Bible because God exalts women and he'll take and do what the world doesn't do to exalt them and you see here Tamar now, though she came from a believing family, she was acting like a prostitute. And then you get Rahab, who, if you read um, the Old Testament, was a, was a literal plot prostitute, but she protected God's people. And then you read about Ruth. I can't wait to do the book of Ruth. Maybe next year, right before Christmas. Because the end of the book of Ruth, if you were to go back there, you don't need to go. But if you were to go back there and you were to read the end of the book of Ruth, Joshua judges Ruth. You see this genealogy. Now, these are the generations of Perez and Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram and Ram fathered Aminadab and Aminadab fathered Nashon and Nashon fathered Solomon and Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed and Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse was the father of David. It's the exact same genealogy that you pick up in First Chronicles. 
And it's inserted into this one. And you see Ruth, an honorable, unbelieving girl from Moab who gives up everything, everything to follow the God of Naomi, who becomes a believer even in her land, really even almost committing her life to a life of singleness until strong comes along. Remember strong? Wanted to thinking about naming one of my boys, Boaz. Bo and Luke. That would have been awesome. Yeah, some of you who grew up with me knew where that reference was going. But you see Ruth, an honorable pagan girl who gave up everything to follow and honor her believing mother-in-law. Your gods shall be my God. Your people. Your family. My family. Then you see the famous wife of Uriah, who was an adulteress who gave into the king's commands. And so you take all those people, those notable men and those notable women, and you see they're not big H heroes. They're little H heroes. But they're all pointing to the one, the one big H hero. And so as we look back and we see Jesus's family tree, it's not without black marks. It's not a perfect family and that should, that should comfort us because we weren't born into perfect families. We weren't raised by perfect parents. We're not perfect. But there's one who's perfect who came through that line. And then in verse 18, you see, we go from the family tree and we're going to see Jesus born not only comes through a family line, but he's born into a family. And it begins with this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I I love that sentence. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is the true account of what happened at Jesus' birth. There are newspapers, there are books that want to give some far-fetched insight, which is just far-fetched. Their motive is not from honesty. They're just dissatisfied with what the Bible says. Honestly, that's what it is. They, they don't want to sit here and say, thus saith the Lord, and I'm going to read it for what it says, because if I do, I might have to change my life. Because if this is God's true word, he might call me to do something different. And so I love that phrase. Now, this now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's a matter of fact, what I think is interesting is there is a news. There's a there's a magazine that is literally going out of print. And this is this is what they chose. This is what this magazine chose as their final cover. The final cover of their magazine. Because of the world in which we live, they decided through paper uh, distribution, it's not working. We're just going to go online. So our final print magazine, we're going to put out speculation. Who is Jesus? Did he have a wife? In a manger, in a cave. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't put on here, were some of the shepherds not sneezing? Right? How many wise men were there? Why Bethlehem? That's your final cover. Unfortunately, they didn't realize what they were doing. But in God's sovereign plan, Al Mohler says this, In the waning days of Newsweek, a print magazine, the editors decided to take on the New Testament. And he says this, and I think this is poetic justice. I think it's 
funny. I think you all ought to belly roll when I read this next sentence. Readers should note carefully that it is Newsweek and not the New Testament that is going out of print. You see, Matthew got it right. The Mayans, they got it wrong. It's 1223. Matthew got it right. Mark, he got it right. Luke, nailed it. John, gospel, three epistles in Revelation. Paul, 13, author of Hebrews, Moses, Ezra, he got it right. You can believe this. And if you're here today, I say it to you with some humor. As Howard Hendricks says, when they laugh, then you put the truth in there. I say it with some humor that it's Newsweek, not the New Testament that's going out of print, because I want you to sense the truth. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So here's what it says. When Mary, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. You and I need to read that sentence and be in awe. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, again, that's a little stronger uh, than just dating. They are, they are engaged. They're going to get married. It's, it's, it comes with all the promises. They just haven't uh, consummated the marriage yet. And I read in one place this week, if you're following along in our um, Advent devotional, it said this, I feel so strongly that among us who have grown up in the church and who can recite the great doctrines of our faith and our sleep and who yawn through the Apostles' Creed that among us, something must be done to help us once more feel the awe. Not the awe, like the cute little baby awe. Though we feel that, and it's good to feel that, don't hear me saying anything other, but the awe, the awe, the astonishment, the fear, the wonder of the Son of God, begotten by the Father from all eternity, reflecting all the glory of God, being in the very image of His person through whom all things were created and uphold the universe by the word of His power. And I love this statement. You can read every fairy tale ever written, every mystery thriller, every ghost story, and you'll never find anything so shocking, so strange, so weird, so spellbinding as the story of the incarnation of the Son of God. The space thrillers of our day, like Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, you can see he's kind of dated, can do... This great good for us, they can humble us and bring us to repentance by showing us that we really are capable of some wonder. That when we watch those movies, we stand back in awe of cinematography and we say, wow. And this pastor says, oh, how I pray for a break forth of the Spirit of God upon me and upon you. And I would say upon me and upon you. I pray that the Holy Spirit would break into our experience in a frightening way and wake us up to the unimaginable unimaginable, as we heard this morning, the inexpressible truth of God's word that brings us great joy. So let's now read that sentence again, just with that mindset. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I can turn to Dr. Luke, chapter 1, verse 36, and he shed some light on it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. That's twice the virgin has been mentioned. More on that in a minute. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will will this be since, since I'm a virgin? Third time she said that, or it's been mentioned. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so before Joseph gets woken up in a dream and told the news, Mary gets the news. And can you imagine little Mary, teenager, getting the news that you're going to be the mother of the Savior of the world? And, And we automatically, she treasures these things in our heart, but we automatically assume that there's no problem. But there is a problem. She's betrothed to Joseph. Can you imagine the fear? In her heart, what's he going to think? What's he going to do? And see, we, we, we Protestants, Catholics make way too much of Mary. Let's just call it. The truth is the truth. Perpetual virgin, sinless. No, but we can make too little of her. In our efforts to defend the truth, we can kind of, yeah, yeah, that's just Mary, the mother of Jesus. No, that's Mary, (laughs) the mother of Jesus. As we just read in Luke, uh, she lives by faith. She put her trust in his word as a teenager. Uh, She showed chastity uh, before marriage and fidelity after marriage. And though she was the mother of the Savior, she humbled himself to be involved in his ministry. And some we could say this. Mary was a humble servant who walked by faith. Me? I'm your servant. She was a joyful worshiper. Over and over in the first couple chapters of Luke, you just see her pondering these things in her heart. She's just overjoyed. Wow. She was a loving mother who raised her son. Makes motherhood, the call to motherhood a good thing. By the way, at the end of her life, and this just fascinates me in this talk about family, she received a spiritual son. Jesus is on the cross 
I can't. This is how Jesus, this is how Jesus is concerned for his family, spiritual and physical. He's on the cross and he looks at John and he says, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And he just he just said in those words on the cross, there is something greater than physical family. Love my physical family. Love them to death, my physical family. Had so much fun yesterday with my physical family. And I love my spiritual family. I love you. I do. I love you. I love you. Love my spiritual family. So she was a loving mother who raised her son, received a spiritual son, and she was a faithful disciple to the end. Just follow her name through the Gospels. There's several Marys, so we'll take a little homework to separate them out. And let me just leave the beloved Mary with this. Do you know where she is right now? Right now. She's worshiping her son. And so she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Do you know what we call that? Miracle. We believe in miracles at EBC. Let that be known to your friends and family. We believe in miracles. And then you see Joseph and her husband Joseph being a just man. Can you imagine when he got the news? Out working on with the wood somewhere. Joseph, I'm, uh, I'm pregnant. Pregnant? I know you're not going to believe this. But an angel told me that I, I was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and, and I, I'm now pregnant with the Messiah. Now, can you imagine what he's going through? I have counseled. I won't tell you when and where so you don't. I have counseled a couple that doesn't even know the Lord, not in this church, in this valley. And when the husband found out about something, there was a physical, physical movement. Sighs over and over. Thank you, Phil. Oh, man. And, and let me just tell you about Joseph before we get back. Let me just tell you, this is a good guy. That's what the Bible calls him. Um, not good in his own. No. Good because he trusted in God. He is a just man. He is a literally, some translations translate it, righteous man. Not on his own, but through God. He was responsible enough to get married at a young age. He was heading down that road. He wasn't waiting like many singles these days. Like, let's get to 40 and, and then we'll get married because I haven't played enough video games or whatever. But he and it's true. It happens. It's all over the country. Manhood has been diminished. And so we have boys, boys living with parents until they shouldn't. He goes out and he gets married. He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter. 
Do you know what that means, gentlemen? That dignifies every job. Every job. Every job. White, collar, blue. He's a carpenter. They didn't, God didn't put two people together where, where the woman was of royalty and the man was kind of the higher ups with uh, Herod's group. It's a carpenter. Dignifies every job. And it's a simple life. I'm sure he had said, Hey, Mary, you want to marry me? Mary, Mary? You want to be with me? I'm a carpenter. We're probably not going to make a whole lot. Probably will live in this one little town for the rest of our lives. But we can do it. We can do it together. And it, it, we can raise a family. And we can follow uh, God. And, and, and so that's what, that's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And let's not wait because I'm not into video games. I'm just, I want to. I want to marry you and honor you. I want to be a biblical man and you be my wife and we'll just go on and we'll have a family. It's probably what he was thinking. And then he gets this news. And because he is a righteous guy and because the, the text implicitly leads us that he had done the right thing, he had been responsible enough to marry young and, and you'll see that he is a very disciplined man, uh, that he doesn't say a whole lot. He just obeys a whole lot. That when he got the news, he, he, he probably wrestled with it. And there's a movie called The Nativity Story. And there's a scene in there where you just see him wrestling with him. But because he is a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. It was allowed. So there, there were two laws in Leviticus. There was one law that said in Leviticus uh, chapter 10 in verse 9 maybe, um, that when an adulterer and the adulteress are found, they are to be put to death. And there's another law that said if a man has found his wife and she hasn't been chaste, he, he could divorce her. So Joseph, being a righteous guy, wrestling, says, I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal of this. I, I care for her. Can you imagine that? That's a righteous guy. I care for her. And then kind of the scene closes and you see him laying in bed and maybe he's, he's just, have you seen those movies where, or shows where the guy's just wrestling with what he should do it's in the wee hours of the morning and finally his mind has just turned off and he goes to sleep and it says in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. Love it. When God gives words to people, he does it in a way that they can't miss it. What, what do you mean? Well, he told Mary to call his name Jesus. He didn't tell Joseph, well, call his name Tom, right? No, he got it right. So when God gives you a word and he gives the words to people, they match up. You, you call his name Jesus. And he said to him, you'll call his name Jesus. And here's why you will call his name Jesus. This is the reason we celebrate Christmas. For he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is about the cross. Christmas is about salvation. 
And notice what it says here. Oh, this goes with what we learned this morning. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. It doesn't say for he will save them people from their sickness and their suffering and their pain and the toil of life. Would have been nice had it said that. Would have been nice. That, and he will save his people and he will then bestow on them uh, new trucks and big homes and boats. And it's not what it says. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. He would say at the end of his life to one who is challenging him with the truth. This is the reason I was born. And all of this says was to take place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, if you ever wanted to do a study in one of the most debated texts in all of Scripture, let's go to Isaiah 7.14 and just really break it down. Let's get into the Hebrew let me just give you the quick and dirty of it. In the Hebrew, there's a word that, the, that uh, Isaiah used that means young woman. That's what it means. Which doesn't negate that she could be a virgin. It just means young woman. Then when 70 Hebrew, Hebrew, not Greek, Hebrew rabbis wanted to translate the Old Testament into Greek so that the Hebrew people would not lose their faith. Hebrew rabbis translate Isaiah. They use the Greek word Parthenos, like the Parthenon, like the goddess, uh, the virgin goddess. Uh, I believe her name was Athena. Is that right? Thank you. That's what the Parthenon, virgin. So. So the word lends itself to virgin. The Hebrew rabbis who translated the LXX, the Greek Old Testament, said virgin. And here's the biggest one that gives it away. Matthew. <laughs> he has a choice to make. He writes virgin. Uh, Mary, when she's, we talked about that three times. Virgin, virgin, how can I, I'm a virgin. You get it? It was a virgin birth. People don't like to hear that. Well, that can't happen. Virgins can't conceive. Yeah, that's called a miracle. The conception is the miracle. We'll see in a second. The birth is painful. Conception, miracle. How did that happen? God did it. It's just it's a real simple answer. When God did you really believe that? Yeah, I do. I have to. Why do you have to? Well, okay. This is where it gets a little. I have to believe in a virgin birth. It's not one of those, you know, do the little magic trick. Well, she didn't really have to be a virgin. It doesn't know it can be a young woman. No, it had to be a virgin. Had to. Well, why do you say that? Well, all of life depends on this virgin birth. Because had it happened in a normal way, <clears throat> Jesus would have been born into a sinful family line. And had he not come through a woman... He would never identify with us. He never would have been human. So how do you get the Messiah who's going to save the world to be a human yet be without sin? Virgin birth. Doug Wilson, I commend anything and everything Doug Wilson writes to you. He is 
quite plainly one of the simplest, funniest, most convicting writers out there. He said it needed to be true, a true human being and sinless. The virgin birth is the answer because Jesus did not have an immediate human father. He was not entailed in sin with the rest of us because he had a true human mother. He was a human as we were. And because he was without sin, he was more fully human than we are. For this, we can see the virgin birth. There's not just some random miracle story designed to impress the gullible, right? That's all you Christians do. You're just gullible. No, we just believe this is God's word, and that's what he said. I can show it to you in the Greek and Hebrew if you'd like. It's a miracle, all right? But it's a miracle like the other miracles connected to the person of Christ. Like the incarnation itself, the miracle is necessary for the salvation of lost and sinful men. The conception was a miracle, but the birth was painful. If you've ever seen the nativity story, Andrew Peterson, who sang as Matthew's begats, sang that theme song, and he said it wasn't a silent night. And they showed it was a painful birth. It, raise your hand if you've given birth. Anyone? Good. All women. day and age we live in. Tell me, was it painful? I, well, I was in the room. I would, looked painful. It was painful. And the virgin shall conceive miracle and she bore a son painful and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, I love this. Matthew doesn't want us to miss it. It means God with us. <coughs> And when Joseph woke from his sleep, look how obedient this guy is. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he really studied to see if this is what God's word was true. No, that's not what it says. He, he went and questioned all the priests and everything because he wasn't quite sure what was going on. That's not what it says. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. And he took his wife, but he knew her not. And here's a key word. You can circle this in your Bible. It is a key Greek word in the Greek New Testament until. That means something happened. He, he was some way until this happened. And then after that, he was a different way. This is why he's an incredibly disciplined fellow. So he, he comes to her. He wakes up and he goes, you're right, sweetie. I get it. You, you told me what had happened. And then I was contemplating these things last night. And then in a dream that... Matches up, and so yeah, we're we're going to get married, uh, and we're going to go forward with this. And they got married, and then he was disciplined, right? Disciplined for a long time until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Meaning, you have to deal with that until she gave a birth, because that means then he knew her in the marital sense of the word. He knew her. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Because we see other uh, half-brothers of Jesus. James, we get a book by him. And Jude, we get a book by him. And that confirms something to us. It says the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Doesn't say litter. Doesn't say twins. Doesn't say a variety of people. It says a son. And so Jesus had brothers and sisters. And so she was not a perpetual virgin. Though she is a humble servant, joyful worshiper, um, 
faithful to the end in ministry. Now she's worshiping Jesus, her son. That's got to be pretty cool. And she had other kids. And he did what the angel told him to do. He called him his name Jesus. Why did he call his name Jesus? Again, verse 21, you should call his name Jesus. Here's the explanation before. For he will save his people from their sins. He's the New Testament Yeshua. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He formed a family. So my question to all of us here today, hopefully the answer for everyone, are you in his spiritual family? It's not passed on through the genes. As much as I love my youngest son, did you see him smiling big in the play? He needs to know Jesus. He can't just quote Scripture, he can't just, well, Luke believes in Jesus and Lauren believes in Jesus. Don't I believe in? And we had it as early as last night at dinner. And Lauren's like, he, he wants to know more about Jesus. And so we talk and he is not getting it when it comes to sin. And so we hold off. But it's not going to be passed on through the genes. Someday, I hope sooner than later, that Lawson will bow his knee. Because someday everybody, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It is a guaranteed future event. Some will do it uh, willingly and joyfully prior to Christ's second coming. Some will do it forcefully and painfully. Read Philippians 2. And so Jesus said in Mark 2, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came. There's Christmas. I came to call the righteous, not to call righteous, but sinners. I did not come to call those who are good, i.e. all of you are bad. Do you see the genealogy? I mean, Andrew Peterson did a great job with it. Over half the New Testament books reference Christmas. And Paul picked it up, and I think he says it the best. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. This is this is Christmas Easter, this is everything wrapped up in one. But when the fullness of time had come, Genesis 1-1, that's when time began. God sent forth His Son. Read John 17, read John 20. This was planned from eternity past. God and Jesus worked out the plan. Born of a woman. Now don't run too quickly over that. Go back to Genesis 3-15. Born of a woman? Had to be. Her seed will crush you. Born of a woman born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive, love that, adoption as sons. Did you know, you know what Joseph did? That Joseph adopted Jesus into his family. If you think about it. He was not his physical father, but he said, you know what? You're in this family. Some of you have gone through that process. Praise be to God. And all of us, if we know Jesus Christ, we are the adopted children of God. Christmas in the family of God. Historical, sinful, saved. So if you have a handout, here are some quick truths. I hope this helps you see why we always talk about family here. Not just the church. We're family. God knows your name. Did you know that? List of names. Does he know my name? He knows your name. And he knows the detail of your family. Good family, bad family, dysfunctional family, dynamic family, great family. We've got them all. God knows you. And God invites you into his family. 
And his family is a special community. It is historical. That's why we looked at the genealogy. It is sinful. That's why we pointed out some of the men in there, some of the women in there. And it is saved. And his family, it's a special community. It's not a business. The church of God is not a business where we maximize our return for minimum investment. It's not a government-run agency where we're entitled to certain things, benefits and services, but it's a family. We participate in it. We contribute as members of a family unit. And it's not merely biological, though it's made up of biological families. It's a spiritual family. We're adopted into it. And God is with His family. Emmanuel. How long? Is he just, does he come and go? <laughs> Love that. What book ends Matthew? one twenty three, And his name shall be called Emmanuel, for he is God with us. How does that book end? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you 95% of the time I'm going to be there. That wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? Lo, I'm with you always. I am the Emmanuel, the one that was promised, the one that was birthed, lived, died, rose again. I'm with you. God is with us. Jesus is the Emmanuel. And you think to yourself, with me? Right now, I thought he's at the right hand of God. Well, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have God in us. God is with us. He, he was with me when I went to the grocery store yesterday. He's with me when, and you when we go to the doctor's office. He's with us when we sled in the park. He's with us when we run. He's with us in the good times. He's with us in the bad times. He's always with us. And it happened at Christmas. And so if you're following along on the handout, here's what I'll finish with. Family, if you're here and you're from a good family, Joseph and Mary, young couple wanting to do it right, praise God and excel still the more. If you're here and from a not so good family, if you're carrying around with you things from the past, Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, Ruth came out from the Moabites, start a new photo album and praise God. Abraham and Ruth had to leave their families. And families are made up of individual people like you and I. And so if you're here today and you're a sinner and you know that, welcome to God's family. If, if you were slandered, you think Mary got slandered and she's what? She's with, oh, please. Can you, they're no, they were no more righteous than I back then. You could just assume, yeah, she says it's from God. <laughs> no, really, it is. If you were here and you've ever been slandered for your faith, lied about and teased, you're welcome in God's family. If you're here and you're wrestling, you're like, look, you, you mentioned Abraham. I never tried to give away my wife. You mentioned Jacob. I haven't been deceptive. You were mentioning, you know, some men and women who committed adultery or acts of prophecy. I'm not there. I'm not. That's not. I mean, that's not me. I just throw out to you. You've heard it said you should not murder, but whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you've ever been angry with your brother, brother, you're a murderer. I just I didn't just say that. Jesus did. Um, if you've ever looked at a person with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. 
Have you ever said, well, I'll love them because they love me? No, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you're here and you've got that twinge of self-righteousness because you've been walking with Jesus for so long, can I just tell you, you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you're welcome in God's family. See, God walks with us when we walk away from Him. God extends His grace to the undeserving and the ill-deserving. God works through our mess and pain, not around it, but through it. Even messes that we've gotten ourselves into, He's right there. Right there. And God will always be with us. And so starting last week, uh, kids came home from all over the country. They came home to family. And so spiritually speaking, I ask, some of you need to come home this Christmas? God gives us Christmas so that we would go overboard with His grace, overflowing with joy, resulting in, resulting in joy to the world. Father, thank You for the story of Jesus. Thank You for a faithful man like Joseph, who Your Word calls him just and right, who, though probably confused on the front end, was quick to obey when he heard. Thank you for Mary, faithful Mary, humble, joyful, worshipful. And I thank you for all the names that I can identify with in the genealogy. I thank you for my beautiful bride. I thank you for our three kids, angels, shepherds, and sheep. And I do thank you for every single person in this room. Brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask that you would give us all a merry little Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.